Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I have comments today, or maybe I shouldn't say comments. I've got one comment. I wrote an S on the end of comment. That's why I said comments. But anyway, it says, well, JBL, I spent the last two days binge listening to your series on Heart of Darkness and Lord Jim while working on a project at work. Now, that sounds a little dangerous to me, but if you can get away with it, that's fine. I have to admit, I'm not a faithful listener, but that is because I had to prefer to wait for all the episodes of a series to come out so I can listen to them one after another instead of having to wait for the next part. Now, I find myself anxiously anticipating the next installment of Lord Jim. I want to thank you for taking the time to go through these books, especially Heart of Darkness, since it is one of my favorite pieces of literature. I read both stories as well as youth while I was in high school and enjoyed them thoroughly. Thank you for all the time and effort that yourself, your wife, and your crew put into each episode. Very thankful to have all this available. Looking forward to finding out the next series and to make an effort to read along with you all. So, and that's uh, Aaron from Oklahoma. So, thank you, Aaron. We appreciate it. And of course, our next series uh, is coming up. It's going to be on Moby Dick. And uh, hopefully, it won't take as long as Conrad does. But <laughs> it's going to be, we're going to cut down the chapters for that. And I've already gotten comments on, uh, on Facebook. Some of the listeners know we're getting ready for Moby Dick. And one uh, gentleman wrote in and said he's already bought a copy and he's started to read it. And he really likes it. So I'm really happy about that. So we'll see how he likes it as we go through it. Well, in our last podcast, we uh, continued discussing Jim's dinner engagement with Marlo. And we were able to move into Chapter 10. That was my big goal for that podcast. So we did that. Now today, what we want to do is we want to continue our discussion in that chapter with the goal of reaching chapter 12. So we never did really finish chapter 10. Now, my partner in literature is here with me in the studio today, so welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's always good to have you. And also with me in the studio today is my producer, Gabe. And uh, Gabe uh, will be coming on a panel with me before we finish the novel. So he still has to be the producer today. And uh, uh, there's other people who can do this, but they are busy with other things right now. Now, I do have another little word of instruction here, and uh, uh, I finished ahead a little bit in the book, and uh, uh, the thing I want to help all of you with is over the next couple of chapters, the reading does get a little bumpy, and what I mean by that is um, it's hard to tell when Jim is speaking and when Marlo is speaking and then when the frame narrator pops in. So, so the key to understanding all of this, I think, you should just remember that Marlo is telling Jim's story. And uh, sometimes you think it's Jim, but it's actually Marlo telling us what Jim says. And then the frame narrator, he does pop in occasionally, and uh, he does it whenever he wants to. 
so uh, we just have to put up with it. So, so anyway, uh, let's get back into to chapter 10 today. And uh, I think we, uh, we kind of finished on page, page 85, the top of page 86, and maybe just to refresh your, your memory, is remember that Jim wanted to go back to the patent. You know, he, uh, he jumped ship, even though he didn't know he was jumping ship. It's kind of like he was in a trance or something. And he jumped into the small boat, and uh, he still felt so guilty. He wanted to swim back to the Patna to, to get back on the ship. He never, in some ways, I think he, in his mind, he never really wanted to jump. He just did it. He was it's just like he's just immediate. And, and sometimes, you know, if someone scares you from behind and they say jump, you know, you, net, you tend to, you would want to jump too. So uh, uh, anyway, um, but the reason why Jim didn't go back to the Patna is he could not see it. And they couldn't even see any lights on the ship, and so they just assumed that the ship went down. And so, so one of the things I don't think you should miss is uh, talking after talking about this, then then uh, you know Marlowe, who really is Joseph Conrad, and Joseph Conrad is really Marlowe. Um, he gets into classic Conrad. <laughs> And he's talking about human nature here. And I, I think it's important that we point this out. So this is the, the very top of page 86. And this is Marlowe talking. He says, I defy any one of you to offer another explanation. And so, so in other words, why did Jim go back? Uh, even my wife, even Deborah, brought it up last time. It was to, uh, maybe I'll let you say it. Why did he go back? Why did he go back? Well, maybe it was to help him have closure. Um, you know, I, the Right there, um, right here in the book, it says, um, why back to the very spot to see as if his imagination had to be soothed by the assurance that it was all over because he right. be, before death could bring relief. So he just right. wanted to see it all over. Right, he wanted mm-hmm. to see it was all over. Mm-hmm. And I think there was still a part of him mm-hmm. that also wanted to mm-hmm. maybe help if he could help anybody, you know, that kind of thing. All right, but he did not, he did not jump out of the little boat and, and swim back because they couldn't see anything. Now, Marlowe, remember now, Marlowe is telling this story to his friends on the veranda. We don't know where the veranda is. We don't know what country they're in. So this is years later that this story is being told. And Marlowe says, I defy any one of you to offer another explanation. In other words, the guy wanted closure. It was one of those bizarre and exciting glimpses through the fog. And so, so the thing is, if, if all of you have read Heart of Darkness, you know the fog is really a symbol. And it's kind of like the hidden, the hidden parts to human nature. So, so here, um, you know, it, it's like Marlowe is, is looking at, um, you know, Jim, and he's like he can, he's getting a glimpse through the fog. And he's, he's learning what, what, uh, you know, what makes Jim tick. It was an extraordinary disclosure. He let it out as the most natural thing one could say. He fought down the impulse, and then he became conscious of the silence. He mentioned this to me, a silence of the sea, of the sky, merged into one indefinite immensity. And so so I, I think we may have talked about this a little bit before. Uh, Herman Melville, I think, probably learned a lot from Joseph Conrad. Um, uh 
uh, and uh, they both talk about the immensity. Remember Pip, the cabin boy, uh, you know, in Moby Dick, he gets thrown out of a whaler, and uh, he's he's on the sea for a whole night, and it drives him absolutely mad. I mean, he's uh, Pip is mad then for the next couple chapters. And so, so anyway, it, you almost wonder if they didn't borrow this from each other. It says, uh, um, uh, well, what, what, let me do this. Um, let's go turn over to page 91. And um, he, he talks about immensity again. And maybe since we're on that subject, we just stay here for right now. So on page 91, uh, uh, remember now... Um, Jim is in the small boat in the wide seas. And uh, uh, so if you look down the second full paragraph or third full paragraph, it says, I was struck by the suggestive truth of his words. So this is Marlowe talking about Jim. It says, there is something peculiar in a small boat upon the wide seas. Over the lives born from under the shadow of death, there seems to fall the shadow of madness. When your ship fails you, your whole world seems to fail you. The world that made you, restrained you, has taken care of you. <clears throat> and this is where Conrad comes in now. And this is where he slips into talking about human nature. He said, it is as, it is as if the souls of men floating on an abyss and in touch with the immensity had been set free for any excess of heroism, absurdity, or abomination. Of course, as with belief, thought, love, hate, conviction, or even the visual aspect of material things, there are as many shipwrecks as there are men, and in this one there was something abject which made the isolation more complete. There was a villainy of circumstances that cut those men off more completely from the rest of mankind whose ideal of conduct had never undergone the trial of a fiendish and appalling joke. And so... So that's that's definitely classic Conrad, and it's like there's these evil, um, I guess these evil forces in the um, in the universe that that uh, put Jim in this horrible situation, and uh, we can talk more a little bit more about this as we go along. So anyway, uh, uh, Conrad is going. I'm sure he's going to give us more of this as we get through the book, but but again, you, you do have to kind of feel for Jim in a way. All right. So do you have any comments on that part, dear? Um, ju- just that, like it says there, that that, um, that last part you read, um, it's like, and, and I think Jim eventually kind of talks about this. He, he tried to be different from the other men, and it just says these men, cut these men off from, more completely from the rest of mankind, whose ideal of conduct had never un- undergone the trial of a fiendish and appalling joke. So in other words... Uh, some men, a lot of men, haven't gone through what they went through, right. and so, so um, you know, it's 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 like you don't know what you're what you're going to do until you come to a situation like that. Yeah. So I think it, he's I think he's making a comment about that. Yeah, I, I think again, I think that um, when we get into Moby Dick, you're going to see the same thing with Melville. It's like these mm-hmm. guys are all alone on this vast, you know, ocean. And so even the way it describes the, the uh, supposed, you know, going down of the Patna, it's all dark. They can't tell what sky, they can't tell what to see. You know, it's just they're, they're just stuck there. And they really do have to face themselves. And uh, sometimes that can drive you a little mad. And so, all right, so 
So, um, anyway, let's see. Where do we want to go now? Let's let's go to page eighty-seven, and um, let's see. Um, let's let's start talking about what happens on the the small boat. <laughs> I think I think this is really interesting. I think one of the things that really kind of impresses me is that that the uh, the other three, the two engineers and the skipper, thinks he's George. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and George is dead. Mm-hmm. George, and mm-hmm. George comes up again, by the way, mm-hmm. as we get through into, into, mm-hmm. into chapter 12. I don't know if we're going to make chapter mm-hmm. 12 uh, in this podcast or not. But, but anyway, when Jim gets on the boat, you know, it's too black. It's too dark. They don't even know who he is. He said his hand groped stealthily, came in contact with a liquor glass, and was withdrawn suddenly as if he had touched a red-hot coal. I pushed the bottle slightly. This is page 87 at the bottom. Won't you have some more, I asked. He looked at me angrily. Do you think I can tell you what there is to tell without screwing myself up? So in other words, Jim, Jim has a kind of a character there, uh, you know, like a gentleman character. He's, he doesn't want to be drunk. He wants to tell him, but he doesn't want to have to be drunk to tell him. And he said the squad of Globetrotters had gone to bed. We were alone for, but for a vague white form erect in the shadow that being looked at, cringed forward, hesitated, backed away silently, it was getting late, but I did not hurry my guest. So it's getting late. In fact, I think at one point he even says that it was getting close to sunrise and they're still out there talking. But the top of page 88 then is when we get into, um, you know, after Jim jumps in, actually the storm stops. <laughs> you know, and so he's, he, top of page 88 said, In the midst of his foreign line state, he heard his companions beginning to abuse someone. What kept you from jumping, you lunatic? said a scolding voice. The chief engineer left the stern sheets and could be heard clambering forward as with hostile intentions against the greatest idiot that ever was. The skipper shouted with a rasping effort, offensive epithets from where he sat at the oars. He lifted his head at the uproar and heard the name George, while a hand in the dark struck him on the breast. What have you got to say for yourself, you fool? queried somebody with a sort of virtuous duty. They were after me, he said. They were abusing me, abusing me by the name of George. So now this is... <laughs> I think that's really funny. <laughs> this, this, yeah. is, this is uh, uh, Jim telling Marla what they were doing. They're calling him George, and they're smacking him and, and uh, uh, yelling at him. So he paused to stare, tried to smile. He turned his eyes away and went on. That little second puts his head right under my nose. Why, it's that blasted mate. What? How's the skipper from the other end of the boat? No, shrieks the chief. And he's too, he too stopped to look at my face. And so, so obviously they're on the boat, the rain has stopped, and now the wind stops. <laughs> and so, so this is why I uh, wanted to name these two programs. Jim becomes one of them. Because now he's stuck on this little boat with these guys, and there's, there's, uh, there's, the storm is all of a sudden, you know, Stopping. All right. Any comments? Well, just just. I know you've really studied. Well, they they were just really, (laughs) really. First of all, they were they were mad at George for not jumping because they kept waiting for him. George, (laughs) George, jump, jump. You know. And then they find out that it's not George. And then, boy, oh boy, they really, really are mad. (laughs) Oh, they get really mad. Oh boy. So so it's it's. But if you notice, it's kind of funny. Um, 
where it says he was they were abusing me by the name of George and he paused to stare tried to smile so he saw a little bit of the humor in it but he, you know he couldn't really get into the humor of it but it yeah. was it was kind of dry humor there yeah right and yeah. I think if you think about it from mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I know I know this is a made up character but he Conrad makes him so real but but you could think he was probably mad too that <laughs> there he is he's now stuck with these guys you know, remember now, he doesn't think it was his decision to jump. He was he thinks he was forced to jump. I think, yes. I think we're going to get to that. And he, he really feels like he he really tries to keep himself separate from these men, that he's not like them. He's different. <laughs> yeah, but he's on the boat with them. <laughs> yes. So Jim <laughs> becomes one of them. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, he, his, he said... Um, he said, they were too taken aback to say anything more at first. He narrated steadily. This is Marlowe talking. And what could I have to say to them? He faltered for a moment and made an effort to go on. They called me horrible names. His voice sinking to a whisper now and then would leap up suddenly. So in other words, he doesn't even want the people that could be around hearing You know what, what they were calling him. He said, uh, hardened by the passion of scorn as though he had been talking of secret abominations, Never mind what they called me, he said grimly. I could hear hate in their voices. A good thing, too. They could not forgive me for being in that boat. They hated it. It made them mad. He laughed short. <laughs> I can hear him just give a little chuckle. But it kept, it kept me from, look, I was sitting with my arms crossed on the gunwale. He perched himself smartly on the edge of the table and crossed his arms. Like this, see? One little tilt backwards and I would have been gone. After the others, one little tilt, the least bit, the least bit, he frowned, and tapping his forehead with the tip of his middle finger, it was there all the time, he said impressively, all the time the notion, and the rain, cold, thick as melted snow, colder on my thin cotton clothes, I've never been so cold again in my life, I know, and the sky was black too, all black, not a star, not a light anywhere, nothing outside that confounded the boat, and those two yapping before me like a couple of mean mongrels at a tree thief. Yap, yap. What are you doing here? You're, you're a fine sort. Too much of a blooming gentleman to put his hands to it. You know, so, so here they're mad that he didn't help them get the boat off the boat. You know, the, the, this, the a smaller boat off the ship. Too much of the blooming gentleman to put his hand to it. Come out of your trance, did you? To sneak in, did you? Yap, yap. You ain't fit to live. Yap, yap. Two of them together trying to outbark each other. The other would bay from the stern through the rain. Couldn't see him. Couldn't make it out. Some of his filthy jargon. Yap, yap. Bow, wow, 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 wow. Yap, yap. It was sweet to hear them. It kept me alive, I tell you. It saved my life. At it they went, as if trying to drive me overboard with the noise. I wonder you had pluck enough to jump. You ain't wanted here. If I had known who it was, I would have tipped you over, you skunk. What have you done with the other? Where did you get the pluck to jump, you coward? What's to prevent us from firing you overboard? They were out of breath. The shower passed away upon the sea. Then nothing. There was nothing around the boat, not even a sound. Wanted to see me overboard, did they? Upon my soul. I think they would have had their wish if they had only kept quiet. Fire me overboard, they... Try, I said. I would I would for two pence. Too good for you, they screeched together. It was so dark that it was only when one or the other of them moved that I was quite sure of seeing him. Uh, he says, I only wish they had tried. Um, you know, so 
so notice Marlowe then is now, if you're, if you're uh, reading along with us, now Marlowe starts talking back to his friends. And that's where you have to, he's telling them the story now. He says, I couldn't help exclaiming, exclaiming, what an extraordinary affair. Not bad, eh? He said as if some sort of astounded. They pretended to think I had done away with that donkey man for some reason or other. Why should I? And how the devil was I to know? Didn't I? Well, maybe he's not talking to his friends. Maybe he's talking with Jim. I think he's still talking. He just, yeah. he just said that little one little you know, insert there. Yeah, yeah. so he's talking with Jim. Sorry. Yeah. See, see everybody out there. <laughs> it is confusing reading, reading this. So didn't I somehow get into that boat, into that boat? I, the muscles around his lips contracted into unconscious grimace that tore through the mask of his usual expression, something violent, short-lived, and illuminating like a twist of lightning that admits, admits the eye for an instant into the secret convolutions of a cloud. I did. So isn't, that's a great image. You know, so it's it's like he's revealing himself. You know, if it's a dark night, and it's the it's the lightning that does reveal the clouds there. You know, so so I did. I was plainly there with them, wasn't I? Isn't it awful? A man should be driven to do a thing like that and be responsible. What did I know about their George? They were howling after. I remembered. I had seen him curled up on the deck. And now they're going to start yelling at him again. Murdering coward, the chief kept on calling me. He didn't seem able to be remember any other two words. <laughs> I didn't care, only his noise began to worry me. Shut up, I said. At that he collected himself for a confounded screech. You killed him, you killed him. No, I shouted, but I will kill you directly. I jumped up and he fell backwards over a thwart with an awful loud thump. I don't know why. Too dark. Tried to step back, I suppose. I stood still facing aft, and the wretched little second began to whine. You ain't going to hit a chap with a broken arm, and you and you call yourself a gentleman, too? I heard a heavy tramp, one, two, and wheezily grunting. The other beast was coming at me, clattering his oar over the stern. I saw him moving big, big as you see a man in the midst in a dream. Come on, I cried. I would have tumbled him over the over like a bale of shakings. Uh, he stopped, muttered to himself, and went back. Perhaps he had heard the wind. I didn't. It was the last heavy gust we had. He went back to his oar. I was sorry. I would have tried to, too. And so, uh, do you have any comments there? Yes, yes. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you did. Well, I think one is one important thing to notice is if you remember, he was, was kind of talking about you know, how he almost jumping overboard, or like he said, he could almost, he was right at the edge, the way he was sitting, he could have gone over easily. You know, several times he says that, but then something happened that he says saved him, and it's it's when they started coming after him, um, where it says, um, okay, I see, I was trying to keep, that, okay, it, um, anyway, it says, it's it's a good thing too, I forget, where I, I was trying to keep track of it, but, um, it says, um, anyway, anyway he, it, it's what saved him, is what he says, because then he got mad at them, and he right. wanted to fight back. So that, otherwise, he might have just jumped over. He might have just let the, the, the rocking of the boat you know, tip him over. That's kind of what he was hinting at. But then when they came after him, that saved him. He said, you know, he changed yeah. him, and he, and he fought back then. So. Yeah, remember, he's not mm-hmm. a small guy. No, no, either. no, definitely. So, so they very were strong. So, yeah. so they were, you know... 
they were fr- I mean they were really intimidated by him there was no no problem there yeah. with that with his if he started to fight back yeah it's almost like sometimes kids will be good friends until one pushes the other one and then and then this, it gets uh it gets pretty grody sometimes or you know sometimes you know I've seen what you might call wimp little kids and if they get pushed though I've seen them fight I've seen them you know take it on not run away so yeah it's it's uh, getting into his um uh you know they challenged him in the wrong way because he was really strong and yes. so so that did that did save him from jumping over I guess if he had jumped over, would he have drowned himself? You know. Well, that, that's that's the hint there is that when he was considering, you know, killing himself, you know, I, there's that yeah. hint there. I don't know. Yeah. So what that means, and one other thing you you might want to uh, notice is earlier when they talk about because this comes up later when they all realize they all said that she was gone that the boat the Patna was gone back, back in '87, yeah. and it says the lights were gone. No mistake. Then one of the the, the uh, men said they saw lights and they saw the lights were gone and so um, they were all saying it's almost like they were relieved lights were gone she had to go but Jim said he noticed that they were they talked as though they had left behind them nothing but an empty ship so these men didn't were not talking about all the people whereas Jim still had those those you know images and in, in his mind of people dying and screaming right. yeah. 800 people on yeah. seven ships right. yeah I, I think it, yeah. I think there is something we want to realize that he 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 now feels guilty that he left 800 people yes mm-hmm. you know and and uh, he he does of course we're going to get to that eventually but uh, you know he he does um, uh, you know say that he he wished that it didn't you know turn out the same the same way. Uh, let's let's slip over um, to page ninety-two now. We're gonna we're gonna run out of time already. <laughs> but w- one of the things I think is interesting is if you if Jim still believes uh, that that he can handle any situation, and and what this is um, top of page ninety-two is remember they were coming after him, and then he picks up. A piece of wood, and he—it's—it's a—it's a really heavy piece of wood, and uh, if they came after him, he was gonna—he was gonna you know, deck them with this wood, and so uh, um, if if you look at the top of page ninety-two, it says it was all threats, all terribly uh, effective feint, a sham from beginning to end, planned by the tremendous disdain of the dark powers whose real terrors always on the verge of triumph or perpetually foiled by the steadfastness of men. And so, so again, this is uh, Conrad talking through Marlowe. He says, I asked after waiting for a while, well, what happened? A futile question. I knew too much already to hope for the grace of a single uplifting touch for the favor of hinted madness of shattered horror. Nothing, he said. I meant business, but they meant noise only. Nothing happened. And he says, and the rising sun found him just as he had jumped up first in the bowels of the boat. What a persistence of readiness. He had been holding the tiller in his hand, too. All the night they had dropped the rudder overboard while attempting to ship it, and I suppose the tiller got kicked forward somehow while they were rushing up and down the boat trying to do all sorts of things at once so as to get clear of the side. It was a long, heavy piece of hardwood, 
and apparently he had been clutching it for six hours or so. So if you don't call us that being ready, can you imagine him? Silent on his feet, half the night, his face to the gust of rain, staring at somber forms, watching a, a vague movements, straining the ears to catch low rumors in the stern sheets. Firmness of courage or effort of fear, what do you think? And the endurance is undeniable too. Six hours more or less on the defensive, six hours of alert immobility while the boat drove slowly or floated, arrested according to the caprice of the wind, while the sea calm slept at last, while the clouds passed over his head, while the sky from the immensity of lustreless, lustreless and black diminished to a somber and lustrous vault, scintillated with the greater billions, faded to the east, paled at the zenith, while the dark shapes blotted the low stars, uh, got outlines, relief, became shoulders, heads, faces, features, confronted him with the dreary stares, had disheveled hair, torn clothes, blinked eye, red eyelids at the white dawn. So that's a long sentence. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but but Marlowe is defending him, saying this guy really is persistent. Oh, yeah, he had a lot of strength, that's for sure. And he had a, a lot, lot of strength. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's almost like he's trying to defend him to say, you know, uh, you know, if he hadn't jumped, mm-hmm. he would have stayed with the ship. Mm-hmm. Firm, firmness of courage or effort of fear, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Is it interesting? Yeah. So, so the next page, and again, we're going we're gonna to run out of time, so we, we, we can move on. Uh, let's see, we're almost to chapter 11, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we get through chapter 11. But I think uh, page 93 is hilarious. And this is where Conrad calls the three, the skipper and his two mates, the three dirty owls. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, uh, uh, but, but I think the one thing that, that's shocking on this page, this is like uh, in the middle, the, the, the second paragraph, it says um, he, he really blames them for him jumping. He, it's like he doesn't think he forced himself to jump. He blames them. And so, so you know, I, I think that's interesting. He says, they called out to me from Mav, said Jim, as though we had been chums together. I heard them. They were begging me to be sensible and drop that blooming piece of wood. Why, why would I carry on so? They hadn't done me any harm, had they? Had they, had they been no harm, no harm? His face crimson as though he could not get rid of the air of his lungs. No harm, he burst out. I leave it to you. you can you understand? Can you, can't you? You see it, don't you? No harm? He said, what more harm could they have done? Oh, yes, I know very well. I jumped. Certainly I jumped. I told you I jumped, but I tell you, they were too much for any man. It was their doing as plainly as if they had reached up with a boat hook and pulled me over. <laughs> Can't you see? Must You must see it. Come, speak straight out. So, so anyway, uh, to me, that's a shocking read. And uh, also... I have to say, we're out of time. And so uh, that's all we have time for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will continue to discuss Jim's dilemma, uh, let's say, being in the boat with, <laughs> with the three owls. <laughs> and uh, uh, so you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may also be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you may also be able to find a good copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl.pcog.org. 
You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. You can simply search for Just the Best Literature, but also you can look for my uh, my own page just under Dennis Leap. And uh, we are working hard to increase the activity on Facebook, so you can leave me a message there, and I'll be sure to read it on the radio. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.